0: Hey guys, my name is Chris and I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming to worship Jesus with us and uh, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 4. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. We will be in the Gospel of Luke for a while. So uh, get your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at these passages starting in verse 31. And today we're going to be talking about a a big picture of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Uh, He's not just small. He's not just nice. He's not just kind. He's not just hospitable. He's not just gentle. He's powerful. He's victorious. He's strong. He's able. He's mighty. He's matchless and undefeated. He's a king. He's a warrior. I want to show you the power and unmatched authority of Jesus today. Now, um, before we get in there, uh, and one of the reasons I want to talk about that is because in the text, um, we're going to see it one day of Jesus's ministry. One long, full uh, day of Jesus's life and ministry. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to cast out a demon. He's going to preach a sermon. And those people who are watching him used a word to describe it. They were astonished. They were in awe. Okay. So that that's where we're going today. Now, before we get there, let me tell you a couple things that I love. One of the things that I love is spring. Can we just Spring's amazing. February is from the devil. The spring is from the (laughs) Lord Jesus, and I love it, okay? Um, Things get green. It's amazing. My face looks less ashy and has some color. It's incredible. Uh, I get less seasonally depressed. I love to be outside, so I love spring, okay? I love playing in the backyard with my kids, all of the things. So we like spring, and one of the things that we do every spring as a family is uh, we worship, and we worship um, in Lincoln at Memorial Stadium. My little girls get their little Husker cheerleading outfits on. My guys, my, little, my boys, I got two boys, they get their little Husker uh, hats on and all their gear, and we go down to Lincoln for the spring game, and we load up the minivan, and we do the thing, and we eat the Lord's anointed, blessed Highly favored pizza, Valentino's Pizza, which you guys know about, and uh, we do the whole thing. We do the face painting. We make the whole thing an experience. And and I usually, I, as we drive home, you know, we listen to talk radio and people are talking about observations from the game. I try to explain to the kids there was a time in Husker football where, like, we won more than just the spring game. Um, and and uh, we're under judgment right now. I don't know what we need to repent of, but there was a season of blessing. And uh, so I I love to talk to you about that, and one of the things we do in the winter, because there's nothing to do in the winter, is we watch clips of the Husker football team, okay? Has anybody ever done that on YouTube? It's an amazing thing. So we go on YouTube, and one of my favorite games of all time is the 1996 Fiesta Bowl, where the Huskers um, played the Florida Gators, and Tom Osborne was the coach, Tommy Frazier was our senior quarterback, and that was like the pinnacle of dominance, okay? So that game, we were up by like 30 points at halftime, 40 points by the end of the third quarter. Our football, or our running game was absolutely unstoppable. We had a crazy great offensive line, and we had weapons everywhere. So, but, but, but with 10 seconds left in the third quarter, the play of the game happened. Some of you guys know this moment, okay? If you, if you have not been blessed to know this moment by memory, I'm here to bless you today, okay? So... Tommy Frazier takes the ball. He's the quarterback. Ten seconds left in the third quarter. He rolls fakes handoff, comes out to the right side of the field. Immediately as he crosses line of scrimmage hits by two defenders, you're like, oh, that's a busted play, bad deal. Well, he busts off those two guys, just like flexes on them, okay? They drop to the ground. He makes it about another 10 yards up the field, and he gets mauled by like four Florida Gators, and if you know the Florida Gators, like one of the strengths of that team was their defense, and so you're like, oh, he's got a corner, a linebackers. the safeties came down to crack him, like, This is a dangerous play because when you get a football player standing up but not moving, this is a turnover, right? You can strip the ball. You're like, Tommy, just go down. Well, he's just plugging away, and he keeps moving his legs. And next thing you know, they all like – it's just like bodies dropping. Like all four drop, and he keeps running. And literally goes 75 yards for a touchdown as the third quarter expires with time. And the call on that, if you want to just know the actual call, this is the words. How many tackles can one man break? Touchdown, Tommy Frazier! And it is like a moment of pure, the Lord has returned in his kind. Amen? (laughs) Like this is a small taste of heaven right here on earth, that moment. Now, that was an amazing play, and I remember being a teenage boy watching it live. And I stood in awe. Like I was doing the math. Like Tommy Frazier at this point was like eight, 10 years older than me. And I'm like, that dude is doing things that I can't do. And I haven't seen very many other people ever do like breaking six, seven tackles at a division one level is really hard. And very few people ever, ever do it. And I remember just standing in awe. Now, uh, for some of you guys, you're like, I really don't care about football. Like that's not my thing but I hope you can relate, right? Like there's moments of astonishment, right? So some of you guys know what it's like to go to the ocean for the very first time. We're in Nebraska. There's no ocean. I don't know if you noticed a little geography. Uh, There's no ocean here. So uh, you've got to travel. And I remember a high school basketball trip, going to see the ocean for the first time, right? Astonishment. So beautiful, so big, so powerful. uh, I just stood in awe. Uh, Some of you guys know that moment where you go to the mountains of Colorado and you're like, man, how did how did that happen? Like, who made these rocks, like, in this amazing shape? This is astonishment. Some of you guys are into arts, creative. You, you go to museums, and you, you can stay and look at the same photo for literally, like, hours because you're in awe of its creative beauty. Whatever that is, some of you guys know that feeling when you saw your wife for the first time, and you're like, that is just one beautiful bad girl right there that the Lord has knit together <laughs> in an amazing way. You know what I'm saying? Just stood in a little bit of awe. Nobody else knew that moment. Well, I know that moment. Okay. And I feel it every morning when I see my boo. Okay. So there you go. Um, and so there's moments of awe and astonishment. And, and so uh, all of that to say is that I, I tell all of that for a couple reasons. One, it had been a long winter and a slow spring. So we just needed that moment to remember the Husker football. Can we just say that? We just needed a moment. We needed a win. There's no football on right now. You needed to remember that amazing moment but i also tell you that to get into our text of uh, that was the feeling of awe and astonishment that the people of god had as they watched jesus push back the demonic heal the sick and preach with power that that awe inspiring moment of saying something just happened and, and it's not normal and it's and so what are we going to do in response to understanding the power of jesus and this is not just a bible study this morning of of some miracle that happened 2000 years ago okay Um, We're going to study the scriptures, but what I want you to know is, like, I want you to understand who God is. Because if you do not understand the person, the power of Jesus Christ, you are going to be prone towards discouragement when the storms of life and the chaos of our circumstances get big. So when you look at the chaos of culture, and you look at the chaos happening among the nations with wars, and you look at the uncertainty of your own family things that are happening, people getting sick, people falling into sin, people blowing up their marriages, all of that stuff. When you see all of that, when you get a diagnosis from your doctor and it's not good, when the election doesn't go your way, if you have a small Jesus that can only get you out of hell and into heaven someday, and a, and a, and a small Jesus who's really nice with kids but not tough on sin, and not able to stand up to the demonic, and not able to actually fight for his people, And not able to actually keep his promises, then you will not have a Jesus that you can rely on in that moment. What I want you to know is the Bible is really clear that he is personal, but he's also powerful. So what I want to do is show you the three areas of Jesus's authority and his teaching over the demonic and over disease as we walk through this passage. And what I want you to do is also just kind of bring us up to speed. Some of you guys are new. Let me give you a little context of where we're at in the book of Luke. The first couple chapters are all about the person of Jesus. It's answering the question of who is this person, right? He's born of a virgin birth. He is, um, he, he, he's, a. He's affirmed by John the Baptist as the one who has come, right? And, and then God the Father comes. He affirms. Jesus says, this is my son who, who's my beloved son um, who, who I'm well pleased in, right? Then the Spirit of God comes and anoints Jesus. Jesus resists the temptation of the devil in the desert. He's unlike Adam. He's different than Adam. So, so you're starting to see who is this person of Jesus. Then he unrolls the scroll out of Isaiah Says It's all about this promise of this one who's going to preach good news, right? Who's going to bind up the brokenhearted, who's going to set the captive free. I'm that guy. I'm him. That's what I've come to do. I, I'm that Messiah that's come. And so it's all been about the person of Jesus who is Jesus. And now we we'll see this new theme emerging. If Jesus is the king, what kind of power does the king have? That, that's where we're at in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to see its unmatched power and authority. We not only get a new theme, but we also get this new location. So he started his ministry, goes to Nazareth, uh, preaches a sermon saying the kingdom of God is not just going to one kind of people, but to all kinds of people, like good and bad people, and not one nation, but all nations. And uh, that came to be a really unfavorable message, and they ran him out of town. So he's relocated his ministry base to Peter's hometown, uh, Capernaum. And this is, historians say, between 600 and 1,500 people. Not huge. It's right on the Sea of Galilee. So there's all kinds of blue-collar workers and fishermen. And uh, again, this is Peter's hometown. And this is where a lot of his ministry is going to take place. So. Uh, Jesus leaves hometown, goes to Peter's hometown, and he starts to preach, and we're going to look at his teaching today and the response to it. So the first thing I want to show you is Jesus had authority in his teaching, okay? It says this in verse 31. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. All right, so Jesus is preaching in the synagogue, and the synagogue is equivalent to like this setting. It's religious people. It's uh, Saturday in this context. We worship on Sunday because that's when Jesus rose from the grave. But it's a religious. It's a religious moment with religious people. It's a religious setting, and this is filled with people that aren't like frat kids who love to play beer pong. Okay, that's not his crowd. This is not the tax collector prostitute crowd. This is like the everybody was in Awana's crowd, okay? Um, These are people who grew up studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, singing about the Bible, going on road trips to Jerusalem to do um, religious rituals. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been around people who like grew up in the church and like their daddy was a pastor and their great-grandpa was a pastor and their great-great-grandpa was a pastor and, and everybody they know is memorized all of Ezekiel. Like that, this is, sometimes those are the very hardest people to preach to, Because they sit back and they're like, oh, heard this before. I know all about this passage. I even know some Greek words. What do you got for me today, pastor? You know, that's this crowd. They're not easily impressed. Does it make sense? These are people who know the scriptures, heard the verses, studied the doctrine. They're not impressed uh, easily. Not only are the people familiar with the Bible, but they're also used to somewhat boring preaching. Uh, In this context, you know, if you're not Jesus, then you've got to preach uh, under the authority of God's word. So um, just like I get up here, and I'm not just going to give you my thoughts for the week, six tips to have a great week. You stand on the authority of God's word and say, this is what the Bible says, and so this is what I have to say to the church. And then what would happen for these religious leaders is they would not only have to read the scripture, but then they would take other rabbis' or religious leaders' interpretation, and they would cross-reference. So, hey, this guy's interpretation is this, and his application is this. And so there was a lot of cross-references, and there was very little authority because they had to stand on the authority of Scripture. Now, what does Jesus do? He preaches with a different set of authority, does he not? Like, he's not preaching being like, well, the Bible says, and my other religious Jewish friend says this. He's like, I'm not going to teach you about creation. I am the God who created so I'm not gonna just teach you about the virtue of forgiveness. I am the sacrificial lamb of God who's come to take away your sins so that you could be forgiven. Um, I'm not just gonna tell you about the scene where God's people were out in the desert and, and God created water from a rock. I am that living water that can satisfy the deepest parts of your soul. So he's teaching the Old Testament like his autobiography. He's standing with unmatched authority. He's claiming that I can forgive sins. Not that there's a ritual you need to go through, right? Right? He's basically saying, I am God. This is my revealed word, okay? So he's teaching with a different kind of authority, and, and Jesus being a good preacher shouldn't surprise us, right? Just before this in Luke chapter 4, he quotes Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord has come upon me to preach good news. So Jesus is going to do miracles, but the spirit of God is on him and anointing him to preach good news that God has come to save the day, okay? Now, this is somewhat personal to me, um, and I hope that you come to this part and, and, and you pause, because for me, I just, I just stopped this week and was like, I've read a lot of books, okay? Um, what I mean by reading a lot of books, I've started a lot of books, um, finished very few books. Anybody else like me? Like, I can tell you the first three chapters. Thank you for the honesty. I can tell you first three chapters were fire. What's the last nine? I have honestly no idea. I did not, did not get to the last nine. Um, but... In my life, I've read a lot of words, um, even, even here, like just to come here uh, and preach and teach the Bible to you guys, like I spend hours and hours and hours with books about culture and interpretations and try to make this stuff simple, and I probably spend 30 hours literally studying these nine verses to come and preach to you for 57 minutes that you're blessed by, um, so, um, but I've read a lot of words. Um, you think about all the words that you've listened to other preachers preach, or you went to conferences and heard, or you've had a normal dialogue. I've read books and blogs and tweets and everything in between. And I'll just tell you right now, out of all the words that I've consumed, listened to, heard, or read, there is no more powerful, potent words that have shaped and changed my life like the word of God. None. The word of God, his words, Jesus's words, meant they've absolutely changed how I think about God. I, I, they've revealed to me his character, his nature, his power, his promises. They've told me who I am in light of who he is. They've instructed my ways. They've answered questions. What am I going to do with my guilt and shame? Who am I as a human being? What is my purpose? What power is there for me? What promises can I cling to? What do I need to reject and call not okay? What do I need to work to redeem in this fallen, broken world? What do I need to receive and with gratitude? in my? All of that has come from the word of God. And um, I, I just want to say, I was around my friend Austin this last week. Austin's a pastor in Lincoln. He's a pastor in City Light Lincoln down there. He was our worship pastor at 24 years old. We said, hey, you should, it's a great idea to go plant a church in Lincoln. And so he did. And uh, his church has been blessed. And uh, he's like 30 years old. He's got like 500 college students a part of his church and like 200 people with actual jobs. So it's an amazing church, <laughs> a lot of young people. And no money. So that's his church. And whenever I hang out with Austin, I learn new words. Do you guys have friends where you like learn new vocabulary? Some of you guys are young, you're like, I know all the new vocabulary. Some of us have like, we were used to be young, and now we're kind of drifting into like the minivan stage. Can we keep it real? Okay. So um, that's where I'm at. So I got around Austin, he was like, uh, he used this phrase, he said, man, it just hits a little different. It just hits different. I'm like, it just hits different? What's that mean? Like, it just hits different. Uh, He's like, it's kind of like if you've had like a regular Dorito, but then you have like a cool ranch Dorito, it just like hits different. I'm like, oh, I get it. Like a different flavor. Like it just hits a little stronger. He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I'm stealing that for my sermon because the word of God just hits different. Can we say it hits different? Can we say it, li- it hits a little different right there? Okay. See how I brought it around? You're like, I've lost you. You're like, oh, he's like really trying, but I brought it there. I got it there. We got there. All right. It hits different. It does hit different. Now. Uh, what I can't do is take you back. I've lost all credibility with the college kids. They're like, literally, I can't even look. I'm not going to look to this side of the room for the next half hour. Um, so, so what I can't do is we can't go back and hear Jesus preach. I would love to. I can't wait to have him. He's going to be an amazing preacher. Uh, but, but what we can do is if you're like, man, I wish I could be that. I wish I could hear the word of God preach. You can. Like the Bible is still living and active. It's still speaking and preaching. It's still convicting of sin and revealing the character of God. And so some of you guys, you have a lot of words in your life, and they're all leaving you empty. You spend a lot of time reading tweets and social media posts and blog articles about politics and the economy and what's going to happen, and you're absolutely spiritually malnourished. And I would say, would you get around the Word of God and let it feed your soul? Yes. Let it build up your faith. Let, there's something different about the words. And so what it's going to take is you to actually move your eyeballs to get on these words and to read them over your life so you can experience the beauty of Jesus Christ and allow the Word of God to preach into you. Um, I love the response. It, it absolutely is mind-blowing. And Jesus is an amazing teacher, and it, his, his truth is still there to be revealed and enjoyed. So get around it. Here at City Light, we love the Bible, so that's part of what we do on Sundays. Um, we're going to go slow. Like, I spent the first 15 minutes talking about one verse, okay? So we're not going to preach over verses. If they're hard, controversial, we don't know what to do with them. We're going to sit on it. We're going to go really slow through the Gospel of Luke. If you don't know what you're going to be listening to for, like, the next two years, the Gospel of Luke. We might as well just camp <laughs> right on in. Uh, We're going to go through this together because we really want you to understand who Christ is. Additionally, we have a Bible reading plan, two chapters a day. It takes two years to get through. Some churches do Bible in a year. Uh, We took it the Wayne State pace, okay? Like I could (laughs) have graduated in four, but why rush a good thing? Took me five, you know what I mean? Take that little victory lap. So... All that to say is we're part of a Bible reading plan. You can jump in. We have that stuff in the back. Um, Otherwise, just start reading through the Gospel of Luke with us and and be blessed by the Word of God. All right, so as Jesus is preaching, to get us back in our text, as Jesus is preaching, uh, this is not a normal Sunday morning or Saturday in his context. uh, A demonically possessed man stands up, starts interrupting his sermon, and Jesus is going to have to step into that. He doesn't run away. He's going to step in and push back darkness. So I want to show you the second thing, which is Jesus displays authority over the demonic, okay, over the demonic. Let's read it together, verse 33. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And when they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For, uh, for with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits and they came out and the report about him went out into every place in surrounding region. So Jesus' sermon is interrupted by this individual with an unclean demon. And what's amazing is that if you read through the Gospels, like you read through the Gospel of Luke, who are some of the very first people to understand the beauty of Christ, the nature of Christ and the identity of Christ? It's not the religious leaders who had memorized the verses and went to seminary and have their grad school degrees. It's not them. It's not the people you would expect. Some of the very first people affirming the identity of Jesus are the demonic. They knew who he was. Guys, if you're just looking at theology, the demon-possessed man, his Christology, study of the person and work and identity of Christ, that's that word. Christology is crystal clear. He says, you are the Holy One of God. You're not just another circuit preacher trying to make your rounds of local synagogues, trying to get a little following. No, 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 no. You're the God-man who stepped into time and space to destroy the works of the devil. That's who you are, Jesus. I recognize you, Jesus. I know your power and authority, Jesus. What are you going to do, Jesus? He says that. He recognizes Jesus. Now, what warning does that need to have to the church and to the people of God? We, we should not confuse knowledge about the Bible with an actual saving faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ. You might know a whole bunch. You might have family members who know a whole bunch. They can quote verses, and they can sing songs, and they know the doxology, and they would pass a theological exam, and yet they've never seen their own sin, rebellion, self-righteousness, their actual desperate need for a Savior bigger than themselves, and said, I'm placing my faith not in how I'm living for you, but how you've lived for me 2,000 years ago. Your life, your death, your resurrection. Please do not come here and just store up knowledge. Take notes and fill journals and think to yourself that God is pleased with my life. God is not looking for you to be a smarter, better, more well-rounded religious individual. That will all send you to hell. What will give you eternal life is a saving faith where you said, it's not really about me. I trust and believe in him. Unfortunately, people love to say, I can tell you a little bit about Jesus, but they don't wanna bow a knee and say, Jesus, you're the rightful king and leader of my life. I don't just trust you with my sin. I trust you with the direction of my life. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. Now, back in our text, okay? Um, back in our text, what you see is Jesus doesn't step back, right? What happens with this man? He interrupts the service. Uh, and I always think about this. Like, what would I do? Like, if somebody here is, like, demon-possessed, he stands up and starts shouting some crazy stuff, like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to call the security team, and they're going to tase you. That's what's going to happen, <laughs> okay? We're going to usher you out. we got, <laughs> we got people here, and that's what's going to happen, Okay? But Jesus doesn't do that, right? What are his options? He could sneak out the back and be like, that got weird. I'm not coming back to that place. He could wave his security team in. He could do a lot of things, but he moves towards this guy, right? And he sees a ministry moment, right? He had just quoted Isaiah where he said, I'm here to set the captives free. This is a man who's captive. He's under the control and influence of the demonic. And he steps in, and when the power of Jesus Christ steps in, darkness flees and he, and what's interesting is we've all watched all the Hollywood movies about like exorcisms and like there's usually a priest and like some kind of rosary and some kind of candles and oils and some kind of chant. Guys, it's none of that stuff, right Like it's the power and authority of the name of Jesus that pushes back the demonic in darkness and that's what we see in this text. and so this man is free he's free, he used to be enslaved, used to be um, captured now he's. Free Jesus did that, used his power in that way. Now, some of you are kind of like, Chris, why are we talking about the devil and the demonic? Like, I got a lot of things we could talk about. Why are we talking about these things? Number one, uh, we said at City Light Church, the Bible picks our topic, okay? The Bible picks our topic. So, whatever the Bible says is what we're going to talk about. Additionally, I think that some of the, like, evangelical church doesn't want to talk about supernatural realities because it doesn't seem rational or evolved or modern, right? It it makes makes many, many things, like we want to talk about um, cause and effects and things that we can see with our physical eyes. But I think what the Bible is trying to make really, really clear is that you and I, Christian, we are in a spiritual battle. Can I say that? This is not a static environment. There's good and evil. And even Jesus said, this devil would love to steal, kill, and destroy. Your faith, your love for God, your freedom and the gospel. So we don't live there. And C.S. Lewis is really helpful in this. He talks a lot about, like, how, how does Christians handle the demonic and the reality of supernatural forces? He said, usually people miss it on two errors. Number one, you would come to these verses in your quiet time and just read over it. Like, eh, the devil's not real. Maybe back in the day, everybody blamed stuff on the devil, but like, eh, let's just minimize it. It's probably not real. It was just probably just bad mojo and somebody didn't have their coffee and they just got crabby. I don't know, you know, like just move on uh, and ignore the reality that there are supernatural forces. Others, what they'll do is they won't just ignore it, but they'll obsess about it, right? Have you guys ever been around those kind of people? Like everything is the devil. Like you got a flat tire, the devil did this to me. He's trying to steal my joy. Or you ran over a nail because there's a big nail and your tire. So, right, that could be it too. Um, and, and so there's an obsessive nature about the devil. Everything is the devil. Devil has done everything. And so uh, there's really two sides to miss. You can minimize and ignore, or you can overly obsess and give credit to uh, the devil, which he doesn't deserve. So let me give a little teaching. All right. So this is where I'm going to slow down. As we walk through the gospel Luke. you're going to encounter uh, many, many scenes about Jesus resisting the devil and Jesus overcoming and casting out demons. So uh, I've just come around an- enough folks in the church that maybe don't have a lot of handles on uh, the role of Satan, um, the power of Satan, the strategies, where did he come from, and so I just want to do a little teaching. We're going to do a little Bible study today. Can we do that today? I got a little four subpoints. I got three regular points and then four subpoints in this point, so just those are free. You don't even have to double tie today, okay? So here it is. Uh, I'm going to give you four truths about the devil or Satan, okay? Number one, Satan is real. So Jesus himself calls him the tempter, the enemy, the father of lies, the evil one. Isaiah chapter 14 tells us where did he come from, right? So originally, God created uh, Satan as an angel to worship God, uh, to serve God. He was part of uh, uh, God's uh, eternal army uh, that would worship and serve the Lord. But uh, he rebelled against God, rejected God, wanted more glory for himself, uh, so he was kicked out of heaven and has now declared war on God and took a number of, of angels with him that are now roaming about tempting and lying, and I'll tell you more about his strategies later. But if you want to read more of it, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Genesis 3, Ephesians 6, that will give you just a basic handle of who is Satan, what's his story, where did he come from, what's his power, how do we battle him, okay? Okay. Uh, Number two, Satan is not equal to God. So uh, the minute you hear Satan's real, um, one of the errors we can make is that we can elevate him into a higher level of authority and power than he should have. Um, In in the universe, uh, where we live, work, and play, um, there's not two different kinds of gods. There's not like God, the God of the Bible, who's good, and then um, Satan, who's equally bad, and they're at the same level. The Bible is very clear. There's one God. Uh, He's the creator God. Everything else is created by God and is subservient to God. So our God is the one true God. He is the creator of all things. He is all powerful. And he he has some unique characteristics that he shares with no one or nothing else. So let me give you a couple of them, right? So God is omnipowerful. He's all powerful. Um, Satan is not all powerful. He's limited in his power authority. God is omnipresent. He's all places at all times. Satan is limited to one place at one time. God is all knowing, right? Satan isn't all knowing. He isn't all discerning. Now he can study your body language. He can study human history. He understands. He's very crafty, but he is not all-knowing. He can't discern your thoughts and your heart motives from afar like God can. So Satan is not equal to God, all right? He's not equal to God. Um, Satan is real, not equal to God. Satan is an enemy, number three, with a real strategy. He's with a real strategy. So um, uh, Corinthians is going to tell you, if you're not yet a Christian, what's his agenda um, for the non-believer in this room or friends and family who you have that have rejected Christ? Um, uh, Corinthians is going to say that he wants to keep a veil over the eyes of the non-Christians. So they won't see two things. One, they won't see their own sinful condition. Um, And number two, they won't see uh, the beauty of Jesus Christ, right? So he's trying to keep you blinded. Um, He's happy for you to play religious games. He's happy for you to go to churches like this and give some money and volunteer as long as you never get to the point where you realize you are spiritually dead apart from Christ. And he is the only beautiful savior that can set you free and give you eternal life. What, what's the agenda of the devil for the Christian's life? Well, the Bible tells us. He's got two primary strategies. Number one, John it says uh, in the book of John, Jesus says he's the father of lies. He's going to lie to you. He's going to lie to you about your nature, your goodness. He's going to try to say that you're awesome and God's bad. He's going to tell, tell you that you deserve more than you have. He's going to try to tell you that bad things shouldn't happen to you and God must not be good. He's going to try to lie to you about the direction, orientation, and the things that you should give your time and attention to. Christian, can Satan steal your salvation? No. The answer is no. Uh, y- you can't lose your salvation. The devil can't trick you out of following Christ. You're forever his. But what he will try to do is lie to you and get you to tempt you to give your life to things that are not eternally significant and um, waste your life. Okay, so he's going to lie to you. Number two, he's going to accuse you. Revelation says that the devil is the um, he's the accuser of the brethren. All right. So uh, in my life, if you zoom out over um, my almost 40 years, uh, there's some amazing highlights. Has anybody got a spiritual highlight reel? Um, you're like, man, that was an incredible moment where I worship God rightly. I responded to that person well. I disciplined with love. I actually prayed with my wife and reminded her of the gospel. Um, I preached with uh, with conviction and truth. Right? There's a couple of spiritual highlights in my life, uh, but if you zoom over to my low lights, I also have those. <laughs> There's also moments of sexual addiction and compromise. There's also moments where I use my same mouth to not bless my wife, but to curse my wife and to say things that left her wounded. There's times where I didn't discipline in gentleness, but disciplined in anger, right? So there's all of these moments of low light. And what Satan wants to do is shine a bright light over here and say, how could God the Father ever love you? Look at you. Aren't you a disappointment? Aren't you dirty? Aren't you, haven't you pushed away? Look at how you've blown up your life. There's no hope for you. Man, you need to run. God surely wouldn't want to love and use a person like you. Here's what those accusations do. They make you feel guilt and shame, and they make you want to hide from God. Here's what the gospel does. It doesn't shine a light over here on your highlights. That's religion. You know what it does? It shines a big, bright light on the personal work of Jesus Christ. It says, Christian, your hope isn't all the good things you've done, and your fear isn't all the bad stuff you did. Your one hope is how Jesus Christ lived perfectly for you 2,000 years ago. Would you rest in him? Would you look at the cross? So you're going to hear those accusing tones, right? And say, man, um, I love this rap lyric from Lecrae. He says, Satan would love to show you his, uh, your past. Just talk to him about his future. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. You can talk about my past all you want, Satan. I got a past. But you know what? I also have a beautiful future that's hidden in Christ Jesus. It's awesome. That preaches. You guys don't know who Lecrae is, but that's okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Number four, Satan is active but defeated. Satan is active but defeated, okay? So Jesus is going to win. So you look at the resume of Satan. What has he done? He tried to tempt Jesus. Uh, John Randall preached about that. Uh, did he reject it? No, he did not win that battle, right? Jesus rejected those temptations unlike Adam and resisted perfectly without sin. So Satan didn't win that battle in the desert. Number two, Satan tried to bully Jesus right here. He's trying to bully him by using his demonic activity to hinder Jesus. Jesus flexes on him every time. Then Satan tries to kill Jesus, thinks he wins by eliminating the threat as he hangs on the cross and is buried in that tomb. But then Jesus stood up with resurrection life and defeated death and the devil once and for all. So Satan is defeated, okay? Uh, But although he's defeated, God has allowed him to remain active uh, for a season. Revelation tells us how this whole story is going to end. How does the story end? Well, it's not like this big, like, Star Wars cosmic battle that is going to play itself out in the galaxies for thousands of years. No, it's not like that. You know what happens? Jesus comes back as a victor on a war horse with a tattoo on his thigh. I know that's offensive to some of you guys who are highly religious. Um, But he comes back with a tattoo. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's got bright, furry uh, eyes that are on fire. And he literally speaks, and he ties up Satan, all of his little minions, throws him into a pit, defeats him forever, and seals the lid. That's how this whole thing ends. It's like a first-round knockout. You guys want to know how it ends? And this is really, really, really great news. Um, This is great news for us as Christians, that Jesus can set the captive free, that he can push back the demonic. And I I hope that even for some of you guys that you're sitting right here today, like if you're really honest about your story, did the devil ever have any power over your life? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 would say yes. Yes. Before you were walking with Jesus, the devil was your master and you served his worldly agenda. That's what the Bible says. Welcome to biblical Christianity where it's not all that flattering. And so all that to say, as I look around the church, has Jesus set captives free? Yes. Did he do it 2000 years ago? Yes. Has he done it in our church? Yes. Is he going to come back and push back all darkness forever? Yes. Now, why does this stuff matter? Again, Christian, you're going to read the same headlines I am. You're going to look at wars and evil men doing evil stuff. And you're going to look to, uh, you know, all, all, Putin's got the bad haircut. And he's depressing people in Ukraine. Right? This little guy in Korea got another bad haircut, and he likes to push little buttons. Right? like These guys are weird. Right, You look at your own city, and there's women being sold as commodities, babies being murdered in the womb. There's injustice all over. Can we say that? Yeah. Now, I don't know if any of you guys want that to stop. I do. Yes. I want to see women stop being oppressed. And It seems like men's leadership oftentimes is either marked by passivity, where they abandon their wives, or dominance, where they oppress them. Right, I got daughters. I would love for that to not be a thing. Right, um, so so where does that? How does that end? Well, good news—we got another election coming. <laughs> right, and, and I'm just saying that out loud because even the church has been guilty of this misplaced hopes. Right, so wh- who's going to put to evil to some of these evils and injustice, some of the chaos, some of the lies? Who's going to stop all of that? Right. Um, I just want you to know, like we go to a lot of places. Well, politics will save it. Well, the doctors and their pills, they'll, they'll put an end to it or maybe a new program. We can just throw money at it. If people are just more educated and they weren't so simple minded, we could just educate people out of this stuff. Guys, I know a lot of really smart people with a lot of degrees and they're still doing sinful, stupid things. Okay. So what is our hope in? Who fixes these problems? I just want you to have a picture of Jesus. Jesus wins. Jesus restores. He's going to sustain his church, defend his people until the end. And then what Jesus is going to do is he's going to come back and he's going to make all of the wrongs right. He's going to push every little stronghold that the devil has back and he's going to set everything free. And he's going to capture Satan, throw him in a pit, and it's going to be night-night game over. That's our hope. Amen? That's our hope. So, Christian, is there ever a situation that the Christian walks through where we do not have hope? No. Our hope is in Christ. He will restore. And he will redeem. All right. He has authority over teaching. He has authority over the demonic. Last thing is Jesus has authority over sickness and despair. So what happens in this scene is what Jesus does is he heals this demonic man. He sets the captive free there. And then uh, he goes over to Peter's house. uh, And Peter's mother-in-law is supposed to be making lunch, but she's not feeling good and so uh, he's going to need to heal her so we can get the lunch thing going because I think preacher Jesus was hungry just like I get hungry. Okay, here it is, verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered, uh, entered Simon's house. Now Simon's, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appeared to appeal to him on her behalf. <laughs> hey, you might want to heal this lady so we can have some lunch. That's, uh, I think, how that went. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had uh, any uh, who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them. And he healed them. Okay, so Peter's mother-in-law is sick, sick, okay? Like not just a mild headache and I'm pushing through, but like I've got a fever, I'm shaking, uh, I can't move off this bed and their local doctors don't know what to do, right? Jesus is the good physician and I just wanna know, say like, I don't know if you've ever been there where like you're sick, sick, like back pain or you've been in a place where you pulled something or you're in a place where like you just don't feel good. You can't do anything but sleep and sweat and just vomit and it's not awesome. And if you're in that place, Like, it's amazing what lengths you'll go to not be in that place. Can we say that? Like, um, in that moment, you got a cousin who's got an essential oil kit that's a little bit sketchy. I don't care. Bring it over to the house. Do something. You got some weird spinach, blueberry mixed smoothie with some kind of, I don't even know, like collagen, put it in. I'm doing the whole thing. Drink it right now. Anything to get me better. There's all these debates that I have with medical people that, like, is chiropractic a real science or is it only physical therapy? Do it all. Crack my back. Stretch me out. I don't care, right? Whatever it takes to get better, all right? And um, I even have some friends and, that are so committed to, like, this idea of physical health that, like, there's things in America that, like, we can't do because we have, like, medical, um, you know, like, committees that are like, no, this probably should not do this. It's a bad idea. It might not help you. But in Mexico, they don't have those laws. So um, they literally fly to Mexico because in Mexico, you can get, like, shark stem cells injected into your butt that will supposedly rejuvenate your cells, okay? So it's a real thing. It's a real thing. I have a friend who did it, okay? Now, he has a fin coming out of his butt, but it's not that weird. It's really, honestly, it's not that weird. You just kind of just got to have thicker jeans, but it's good. It's not even a big deal. He tells me it's of a weird thing, right? So... I'm I am just—I didn't know how to get that story into a sermon someday. So that was my moment right there. That was my moment. <laughs> so like what happens as you hit like 40, just to warn some of you young college kids, all your friends, like they actually have money, but their bodies are starting to hurt. So they spend money on feeling young still. And this is what happens. And so anyways, uh, it's really fun life stage. So this lady wasn't feeling well. Uh, None of the medical folks could help, but I love what Jesus does. This is not like in the Bible, this is not like a progressive healing where Jesus gave her some kind of herb and she got healed. This is an immediate restoration, and some of you guys are like, well, that can't happen, right? Like cells don't just mutate and get better, but um, this is not a violation of the laws of nature. This is a restoration of nature. And by the way, what's happening in your Bible right here is in this little text, Jesus is giving you a small preview of not only what he did, right, he's telling you what he did, but but he's also giving you a preview of what he's going to do. This is what he's going to do. Okay? When he comes back, he's going to restore not just um, giving you a new creation. He's going to give you a new restored resurrected body. Now, this does bring up some theological questions. So we're already in the deep waters talking about the demonic. Let's just ask all the hard questions. Does Jesus still heal people? Yes. 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 He still heals people. He still has the power to heal people. He's still alive and able to heal people. Now, sometimes he heals people through miraculous powers. Like the Bible tells us to bring the elders, to pray for the sick, and ask God to heal them. Um, sometimes God heals people through common grace medicine. Doctors are not unbiblical, ungodly things. They're an amazing gift of God. Common grace medicine is a gift. and. Uh, just a shout out to you medical professionals. Thank you. Uh, I just know the last couple of years have been hard. You couldn't win. Get a vaccine. Don't get a vaccine. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. You couldn't win. Okay. I just want to say thank you for your steadfast labor to help us take care of these broken, aging, decaying bodies. You're a common grace from Jesus. Thank you. Um, so please don't send all caps emails to your doctor right now. Um, I also want to say like does if the question is if Jesus can heal and you're sick right now one of the questions you should ask is why hasn't Jesus healed? Why hasn't Jesus healed? I'm sick and he's not healing me. I've got a kid who's sick and he's not healing that kid. So so why is that? Why is Jesus has maybe why hasn't Jesus healed you or somebody you love? And I can't answer that perfectly what I can tell you is God is good, God is all powerful, God is sovereign, and sometimes he allows sickness and suffering to land on us to shape us into more Christ likeness. Because God's ultimate agenda for him or for his church and for you is not that you just be perfectly healthy all the days of your life, but that you become holy and that you would have right-centered worship. So that's his agenda. Now, um, but I know that some of you guys also understand like the complexities of this, again, on this side. And this should, I, I think what also this should do is get us really excited about the preview of where we're going. So what I want you to know is God may not heal us always, every single time, on this side of eternity but he will 100% heal all of us on the other side of eternity. And that's not just like a tack-on Christian thing, right? The Bible says externally, uh, these bodies, they're literally decaying, but inwardly we're being renewed. And I want you to know on the other side, we get fully restored bodies. So that means your mental illness, your hearing problems, your mind that's growing dim, the aches and pains in your (laughs) lower back. Man, I'm telling you, everything that age and the brokenness and decay of this body that's been taken is going to be restored when you get to glory with King Jesus. That's awesome, by the way. I hope you understand that as good news. And I preach this as a person who's got family members who have went to every therapist, every therapist, every counselor, every pharmacist that they can, and they've gotten medical treatment for mental illness. And guess what? It's a Band-Aid. Yeah. It's a Band-Aid. And we're doing the best we can on this side of eternity with everything we have. And we pray for a miracle and we pray for healing. But you know what gives me great joy and hope? is that when those family members pass from this side to the other side, there's going to be some of them that for the very first time in their entire life wake up and see the beautiful face of Jesus and can actually think rightly about God and themselves. That's, that's what my God does. He restores. He gives life. Church, I want you guys to see Jesus. He's all-powerful. That's what Luke's chapter is saying. And what I want you to know is one of the questions we need to ask before we end this is if Jesus is all-powerful, how does he use his power? We live in a culture that is so suspect of power because we understand power in, in the wrong hands with the wrong people, with sinful hearts can be used to oppress people, right? But if Jesus is all-powerful, how did he use his powerful in this, how did He use power in the text? Well, he healed a sick woman, he set a captive free, and he spoke good news over people who were oppressed because of religious teaching. That's how Jesus used his power. That's how Jesus does use his power. He defends people. He fights for people. He loves people. He serves people. He dies for people. He uses his power to liberate people. That's what he does. That's how Jesus has used his power. And um, this is one day in the life and ministry of Jesus, and it reveals who he is. And so, church, I just want you to know, when the devil takes a swing at you, would you, would you not shrink back in fear? Because Jesus does not flinch. He's not backing, ba- backing away. He's already won all of our victories When the doctor says it's bad, please do not lose hope. God will always heal. Anything lost will be returned. And so as we march towards glory together, would we find our hope and our confidence in this all-powerful Jesus? And if this Jesus is all-powerful, is he not the rightful leader and Lord of our lives? Would we serve him today? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this text and thank you for your work 2,000 years ago. God, through your Bible today, we just get a little picture of who you are. You're an um, all-powerful king. You fight for us. You don't flinch at the evil and the demonic things. And God, this chapter is a little preview of what all of eternity will be like when you push back all things that are dark, when you heal all things that are sick, when you restore uh, not just creation but us. And so, God, we're so thankful for the power and authority that you wield. And we're thankful that as we encounter you and trust you and know you and look to you, God, you've set us free to bow a knee to you, a greater king, that we no longer are sitting on the thrones of our lives, trying to rule and direct and be the ultimate authority of our word wins. Know your word and your ways wins because you have all power and authority. And so God, for your church today, there's people in this room that are tired and weary. Would your power feel them? God, there's people that are sick. God, would you heal them? God, there's people who are suspect of you and, and kind of have hard questions. God, would you speak to them and reveal your truth to them? And so God, would you be near to your church today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.